As you've noticed, the title of the lesson has to do with salt and lie. And Matt read to us just a moment ago from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. As we recognize that section early in the Sermon on the Mount, it reminds us of truly the great set of ideas he presented in the chapters and the verses that followed. But this morning, why don't we take just a few moments as we start this new week by the blessing of God to reflect and this opening slide, I hope, will set before you some of the ideas that I hope we each can appreciate from our study of the Bible today. The Christian life is by far the most worthy, blessed life there is. It offers such a wide variety, not only of blessings for the present, but of course also we look with eager eye to that which awaits beyond. As you notice in verses like Ephesians 4.1, it reminds each of us, doesn't it, that you and I have been called and we're admonished to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called. God has set the bar very high. And He calls each of us to strive to, of course, live according to the precepts that are found in His Word. Philippians 1.27 makes reference to this interesting thought, to walk worthy of the gospel. This gospel that you and I treasure... This gospel that we look at with such excitement and respect, it makes a great demand. And we should strive to walk worthy of it. It might be in light of that, the aim of the lesson is at the bottom of that slide. That aim is this one. An aim to remind each of us as Christians to appreciate in marvelous order and to have imprinted again on our thoughts and our heart the nature of just how sweet it is to be a Christian. It would be my hope that as we close our service today a bit later that we can each thank the God of heaven to be a Christian. We'll do that by looking at salt and light. Let's begin our lesson like this. We'll begin a bit on the negative side and move from there though to far sweeter and brighter pastures. But the world in which we live is so often that which displays darkness and it displays it, as you and I seemingly see regularly on the news, in such a profound way. You and I have noticed recently that terrorism seems to be rampant. There's the needless loss of life. There's the destruction of property and life. All of these things seemingly happen not only in our land, but in distant places around the globe as well. Each and every day, think about how many lives are lost. On average, two people die every second around this world. Two people every second. By the time we close this sermon, think how many that's going to be. And yet as you think about the degree of loss of life, no doubt many of them die naturally, but so many of them are brought to their demise by the acts of terror. They're brought to their demise by acts that are so much in light of evil. There's a world of darkness out there. Some of these verses help us appreciate that the Word of God speaks often about it. Notice with me particularly in passing in John chapter 3 verse 19. Early on in the gospel according to John, we notice that Jesus Himself speaking, He had already made note in verse 16, of course, about the great deal of God's love for the world, but He quickly noted in verse 19, The light has come. But men love darkness more than light because, of course, their deeds are evil. Isn't it still true that there are many who love the darkness and that darkness is of evil? 
That darkness, as you may well notice, is something spoken of frequently in other passages like Ephesians 6 verse 12. To speak about that darkness is to speak in one way about the power that goes with it. Perhaps you're already in mind of thinking about just how strong a statement that Ephesians 6 verse 12 is. Doesn't it highlight, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, of this world. It is a powerful force. Again, you and I see it so readily. It is in light of that, we notice Colossians 1.13 speaks again about the power of darkness. You and I know well that many are overwhelmed in that darkness. They seem to thrive in it, and it's so very strong indeed. As you notice, one of the consequences of it, the Bible lists a number of particular statements, or at least behaviors that go with this darkness. In Psalm 91, I would invite you to notice the rather bleak description that's given. I won't read all of that psalm, but I would invite you to listen as I read a section of Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Did you notice? There was a description on the one hand of those who confidently have assurance in God, but on the other hand, what chases and follows those that don't? Mention was made of pestilence in the darkness. Reference was made, wasn't it, to arrows that fly by day and bad things at night. Isn't it true? Darkness was even described in the days of Psalm 91. But with it, You'll notice the Bible gives us many, many examples. I've only selected two. In the days of a king named Menahem in 2 Kings 15, we have record that he brought his forces to a city called Tifsa and wiped it out. I'm sure as those folks got up that morning, they never dreamed about what would happen by the close of day that day. And yet think about how many hundreds, perhaps even thousands, died on a moment's notice in that ancient village. Amos 1.13 brings us to recognize even the Ammonites were such that they besieged a city known as Gilead. And as they did, one more time, record is given about so many that died. You and I have seen recently on the news how terrorism has brought the death of so many in our day. These forces of evil, these forces of darkness, you'll notice that it seems as though the human family without God has often chose to approach darkness. Thanks be unto God for the next slide. As dark as that is, what about the light? The joy that comes with it and furthermore, the other degree of blessings that attach to it. Let's reflect a moment in a much more pleasing way about the light. So far, we've discussed darkness, 
noted, of course, the nature of the destructive things it brings. Why don't we start like this? Where does this light come from of whom the Scriptures so often speak? A few verses will be plenty sufficient. In Ephesians 5.14, Arise, and Christ shall give thee light. Jesus is there stated to be the provider, the one who is able to bring provision relative to this light. We also notice in Acts 26.23, as Paul, even on the occasion of that preaching before Agrippa, he testified to the fact that that light can bring through Jesus that which lightens the Gentiles. I suppose there's no verse that casts a spotlight upon this thought any better than 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you please notice as we give thought to this trio of verses, verses 4 through 6, Paul in reading says, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel..." of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Paul made note as he began this discussion that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of many. Their spiritual appreciation so dim and darkened. Notice though, he has already mentioned the light of the gospel. Look at where he uses it then. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord and ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has commanded the light to shine, and through the knowledge of Christ, and those who are the believers and those who embody it, they are able to dwell in light. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't that an impressive consideration? That light leads us to note this. Our Lord Himself testified of this unforgettable truth in John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. As we've noted earlier, it's easy to see where men go when they choose to walk in darkness. And the Lord said, but I'm the light of the world. We can already begin to then ask each of us in a personal way, aren't you thankful to know the light? And aren't you thankful not to have to walk in that darkness, be said and be clouded by the things that are so harmful and destructive, but you and I can walk in that marvelously revealed light of God the Father, who of course is God the Son. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. That light leads us to note the next set of verses because notice what that Christ brings us. The sweet consideration of matters like hope and like life. We noted in our Bible class here in the auditorium this morning, Jesus testified in John 10 verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus came that you and I might really live, not just in the flesh of course, but that we might have a close and vital connection to the very giver, the source of ultimate life, God the Father through the Son. Notice in Titus 2 verse 13, Speaking of Jesus, He is the one who is the nature of hope. And it is through Him that you and I, of course, have that great hope for life beyond. Light. Isn't it amazing to think about the distinction between darkness and light? 
In darkness, one stumbles. In darkness, one doesn't see the way. But yet in light, things are clear. One has no need to stumble. In the light, you see, one has the directed way. In the Word of God, Jesus is that light. I'm the light of the world. If only this world, the individuals of it, would turn their attention to the light, all of this evil, of course, would be repressed. All of these things that we see would be set aside. But, of course, you and I know that the old devil is the one behind that darkness. He loves darkness. He does not like light. He tries to keep people in the darkness. He wants them to thrive in it. He encourages it. And in that state, of course, bad things are going to continue to happen. Isn't it remarkable that we have a vivid description of Ephesians 2, verse number 12? As Paul there addressed that letter, those remarks of the church in Ephesus, he pointed out to them that at that time, at a former time, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So here were individuals in the church at Ephesus. There was a time you were without hope, he said. There was a time you were strangers from the covenants of Israel and the promises that go with it. But he quickly noted in the next verse, but now you've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. You one time were without hope, but now you have hope because Christ has brought it. Again, may I pause to ask, aren't you thankful to be a Christian? All of the evil that goes with that darkness, although it can be troubling, how sweet it is to rest upon the assurance and the promise that comes with being in Christ. As we close that slide, you'll notice that not only was Jesus the light of the world, but He said something else in that same verse. I'm the light of the world, He said, John 8 verse 12, and he that followeth me, So those that would choose to follow the Christ, to be obedient to Him, they too would enjoy the light that He offers. And they too would be able to dwell in that blessed light. Surely in light of that, we close that slide by noting 1 Peter 2 verse 9. You see, decades later, after the time of Christ, even the Apostle Peter commented about the sweetness of being in Christ and of being a Christian when he himself identified that the Christians, those who live according to Christ, it would be such that they would provide a powerful, vivid, and visible example to those about them about what that light can do. You and I don't live following the ways of darkness. We have chosen voluntarily to follow the way of light. Perhaps it's that lesson text that was noted earlier that highlights this in such a remarkably dramatic and yet simple and profound way. Let's turn back then to Matthew 5 and listen as Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount. In the first few verses of this chapter, the Lord presented what we often call the Beatitudes. He admonished one and all to be poor in spirit, to be merciful and meek, and to hunger and thirst after righteousness, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be those who are willing to endure persecution for righteousness' sake. The Lord said all of that in a world that then and now still doesn't take too kindly to some of them. Jesus said those who will do these things will be blessed. They will know happiness and furthermore, they'll be the ones able to appreciate 
in a rather interesting way, verses 13 to 16. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I might call to your attention that there were two rather fantastic statements that Jesus made in terms of comparison. Notice in verse 13, He says, You are the salt of the earth. He didn't say you're like the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. And then He went on to say in the verses that follow, You are the light of the world. May we as Christians again imprint in ourselves the high regard and the incredible character that is ours as Christians. What benefit we offer this earth. You and I are the salt of the earth. You and I are the light of the world. A world in the midst of darkness. The world overwhelmed in the things that lack salt. And yet you and I provide those things. How do we do it? And in what sense can we understand it? I have cataloged a few of them and I might ask you to notice them with me. First is the issue of necessity. As you think about salt for just a moment, I realize that there are medical professionals that warn us about eating too much salt and surely that's fine. But may we never forget the fact that the human body, by the way God made it, it has to have some salt. The sodium content in salt is a vital part in the working of every cell in your body and mine. And without a sufficient amount of sodium, the body won't function. That sodium acts as a pump between the inner and outer membranes in the cell, and it must be present. That's the way the body works. May I notice that there's something about the necessity attaching to the character of this salt of which Jesus speaks. We all know the Lord wasn't speaking about table salt. He wasn't talking about sodium chloride here. When He said, you are the salt of the earth, there's a necessity that comes with you and me in terms of our ongoing activities as Christians. Let's develop that perhaps like this. In a text that resembles this one so strongly, in Mark 9 verse 50, Jesus said, Take this salt to yourselves. A commandment. You and I must, in fact, do that which these verses describe. We must be those who walk in the light. If we aren't, we know what doom awaits us at judgment. And we also know the poor example we're setting for those about us. We should be the emissaries of the light. And we should be those who have voluntarily served in that army of the Lord. And to do so with devotion and dedication. This salt, you are the salt of the earth. Maybe it is we could ask these questions. Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. For the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Question, does that describe me and you? If not, where's the light? If not, where's the salt? 
your life and mine should also be those who can say, I'm crucified with Christ, and by the virtue of the way I live, I testify of the faith that's in Christ. Do you and I do that, honestly? Let's not fool ourselves. You and I will notice a few other specifics we're going to ask along the light of our lesson this morning, challenging us, am I salt and am I the light that Jesus spoke of here? Not only a necessity, but what about flavor? We each know very well that salt adds taste. It adds flavor to food. We each know that without that, there can be a, a strong lack of taste or a flavor in a particular food that one might be eating. May I suggest to you the human family has known for millennia that salt does that. Job even mentioned in Job 6 verse 6 that things are unsavory without a certain amount of salt. But what about the consideration of using that? The point Jesus was making here was this one. Without this Christian salt, the world is just flavorless. It's tasteless. It does not appear pleasingly before God in that fashion. You, he said, are the salt of the earth. This world, in, its, in the sense that it dwells in unflavoredness and it dwells in darkness, it needs Christians to provide the proper taste and flavor it needs the godly influence and example that we bring and the obedience and devotion that we set forth. It needs it. We've all noticed carefully on the news for months how badly the world needs it. The rampantness of the darkness and the considerations that go with it. And yet you and I are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Maybe it's in light of that I would ask you to note some of these verses. Everything from the thoughts we think to the language we speak to the places we go, they're all beneath the banner of what this salt and this light set forth. Isn't it true? You and I strive to bring every thought into captivity to the knowledge of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. That's every thought. And you and I do that because we appreciate, do we not, that those thoughts not governed by Christ are motivated by darkness. What about the words we speak? Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Do you and I do that? What about the words I speak tomorrow and Tuesday? Are they indicative of salt and light, the way the Lord spoke of it here? Not only that, look at the very bottom of that slide. We mentioned earlier, did we not? Verse 15 says, again, the same chapter, Matthew 5, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I suppose one of the most memorable VBS songs is about the list little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Our children love to sing that. I trust you and I appreciate the sentiment of it too. We're not going to hide that light under a bushel. We're going to, in fact, make sure that it shines brilliantly and brightly just as the God of heaven intends it because we want to dispel darkness. We want to chase darkness away, not just in ourselves and those we love, but all whom we can influence. As you'll notice, so far we've learned about both flavor and also necessity, but Jesus went even further than that. Look with me also at this next point. 
One other thing about salt, and I'm sure we each are well aware of the fact that it tends to make one thirsty. You eat too much salt, and it seems shortly thereafter you have a powerful desire for some water and a lot of it. May I suggest to you that there's something in this maybe that's yet another truth that you and I can at least use to our advantage. This salt that we have studied about today, this salt that is dedication to the Master, you'll notice it should cause not only in ourselves but others a hunger and a thirst for that which is available, the water of life. Jesus said in John 4.14 that He and only He can provide that water that will quench unto everlasting life. May I ask, what about the example in a very open and directed way of you and me? Do others see in you and me the salt and the light? Do they really? Or do they at best see some veiled appreciation of it? Do they at best see a consideration of it that maybe isn't too clear? May we not present muddy water, but may we present that again which is of light and of salt. You'll notice as we develop that, look at some of these verses. In the New Testament, aren't we given this interesting observation in Acts 4.13? The apostles were under description, particularly Peter and John. It said on that occasion that those who were making comments about them says, these are ignorant and unlearned men, but they knew who they'd been with. They'd been with Jesus. May that be said of you and me. We've been with Jesus, and that's altered and changed the way that we otherwise would have behaved. We now wish to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This description of salt and light brings us to notice number four. And maybe this is the point to which we've been moving all along. Salt also has a strong preserving character, doesn't it? I realize that in modern technology that many chemicals can be added to food to help preserve it. But still from ancient days, the preserving character of salt has been well understood. How meat was rolled in it other kinds of uses it had to preserve that for sometimes lengthy periods of time. You, he said, are the salt of the earth. It would seem that the Bible helps us appreciate there really is a sense in which the influence of the light of Christ, the influence of its salt, really has a preserving character to the entirety of this planet. Let's develop it maybe by recalling Genesis 18. It was on that occasion, wasn't it, that Abraham had been informed that things weren't well in Sodom. In fact, it was up for destruction. Abram, or as he would later be known, Abraham, proceeded to engage in conversation with God. God, if there's 50 righteous there, will you still destroy it? And God said, no. Abram was a rather bold individual. He proceeded to move the number down to 45, and then to 40, and then to 35. And ultimately, as he continued that discussion, as far down as 10, if there's 10 righteous there, will you still destroy it? God said no. And as that chapter closes, the next one opens, we find those angelic visitors coming to Sodom, and 24 verses later, the place was destroyed. 
the verdict, there apparently wasn't ten righteous there. In fact, ultimately only three escaped the onslaught of the city. If there had been even ten, God would have spared that ancient place. Regardless of the fact that homosexuality was rampant, selfishness was rampant, idolatry was even on, on the scene as well, and God would have spared it. As you and I transport ourselves through the ages of time, and think about the other preserving characteristics and the salt that goes with the things of God. That was a, but one example. What about if we look at Jeremiah 6 verse 16 for a moment. In the midst of that major prophet, God in fact said, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls people of Judah were again in rather dire circumstances. Captivity was on the horizon. They needed to repent. And the God of heaven assured to them, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, what had been preserved. What was true from the salt, if you please, of the old law of Moses. They were to keep that then. And in light of it, things, it says, would be well with your soul. Isn't it sad, though, to note the last few words of that same verse? In reply, in retort, if you please, to God through, through what Jeremiah had revealed to them, they had the nerve and the gall to say, We will not walk therein. They just weren't going to do it. You see, just as Jesus later would say, they love darkness more than light. They just didn't want to bend their stubborn will to do the things that God demanded, and they didn't want to come to the light. Surely in light of that, we close that slide by noting it was a bleak time as we reflect on Jeremiah 5 verse 1. God told Jeremiah to search with candle, if you please, through all of Jerusalem and try to find a single righteous man, just one. Would you claim that darkness was rampant in Jerusalem then? Sure we would. Jeremiah couldn't even find one. It may well be in light of those things. We revisit the life and times of you and me today. In the midst of a world of darkness, we need to be committed to Christ, faithful to Him, faithful to that which He teaches, not just when it's convenient, but everything that He's taught, faithful in our attendance to His services, ongoingly dedicated to all the matters, making every thought and action and word of our life committed to Him, because we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. This last slide will perhaps bring us to see the fleeting character of what happens when that darkness is allowed to, to, to be pursued. Proverbs 14.34 puts it like this, Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is of reproach to any people. A nation that wishes to be exalted, a nation, a group of people as a nationality of individuals who wish to be highly respected and move upward and onward, it begins with righteousness. We've noticed today that light goes hand in hand with that righteousness. That word needs to be embedded in the character and the inner recesses of the individuals of that land we know that we seemingly are moving as the pendulum swings in a direction where fewer appreciate the light, more and more seemingly dwell in darkness. But that doesn't alter the determination of you and me. 
For the words of the Lord still ring so true. We are the light of the world. By that which we uphold and that which we set forth. Not only by ongoing example of righteousness, but by the things we teach and the opportunity that's ours to share the good word of the Lord. We are again the light of the world. One last thing. This good way of which we've spoken. We noticed that Jeremiah highlighted it centuries ago. Wherein is the good way? Walk therein, he testified in Jeremiah 6 verse 16. It is in light of that we note this. We read a few of the verses in Psalm 91 earlier in the lesson this morning. I'm sure you noticed as we read them though. Those descriptions of pestilence and those descriptions of fearfulness and evil, those corresponded to those individuals who had chosen not to follow God. But those that did, they understood, of course, the opposite of those things. The Lord with them. Two final thoughts then. Without the light, there is stumbling. Folks lose their way. Individuals are in a sense of lostness. Proverbs 4.19 says that very thing. People stumble in the dark and we all know that. That final statement, that final observation is this one. Men become so confused when they have not the light. When they have not the prestige of the salt. They become so confused and perplexed that they call evil good and good evil. That's the very wording of Isaiah 5, verse 20. There were individuals in ancient Israel who, despite the fact that the law of God had been given, the law of Moses had been prescribed, there were individuals who said what God had decreed to be good, they called it evil. And on the other hand, what God condemned, they had the gall to defend it and condone it and even encourage it. Men call evil good and good evil. We see that today, do we not? Individuals who walk in the darkness without the thoroughness and the blessing that comes with both salt and light, they call good evil and evil good. That doesn't change the dictates of Scripture. What God said is evil is still evil, and what He said is good is still good, and they, of course, will have to answer for that poor set of choices. But again, aren't you thankful? Aren't you so privileged to be a Christian, knowledgeable that you are both salt and light, And as such, you are a tremendous blessing and benefit to not only this community, but the earth at large. We are its salt. May we live that way, committed, dedicated, and faithful servants of the Lord. To close this slide brings us to this summary page, which I've tried to ask you to appreciate the distinction of the way that we've studied this morning. There is darkness Don't you want to be in the light? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Are you following that light? Are you living in harmony with it? As a faithful child of God, all spiritual blessings are yours and mine. Ephesians 1 verse 3. The baptismal waters behind me are prepared. It might be there's someone here today who would like to be made into Christ. The prerequisites for that are these. You must believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His great name as the Son of God, and be baptized. If we could assist you in that way today, what a delightful and very encouraging day for us and certainly a day of salvation for you. But if you have become a Christian and you walked in the light, 
you knew the forgiveness of God. And you understood the ongoing nature of the blessings day by day of 1 John 1 verse 7. But you've walked away from it. You've chosen to live in darkness. Don't remain in that condition. Please recognize the urgency of this moment. The New Testament describes that Jesus continues to invite you to come. He wants you to come. He died for you to do so. And if we could be of assistance today in your rededication, we'd be happy to pray to God for you. You must confess those errors and, of course, repent of them, and God will forgive. Today, if we could be of help to anybody in the audience, I wish each of us again as we close this lesson to appreciate the light. Don't be those in darkness, but to walk always in light. If we can help you today in some way, why not let us know that while together we stand and sing.